in the last lesson for Philippians this week. Next week we'll start Colossians. So, um, you got friends that are where like, oh, I don't want to come in the middle of the class. Next week would be a good would be a good one to start it. Oh, you know what? You guys are working. ways we gain joy and have joy. Today it's going to be through peace and through contentment. Believers find joyous peace through Christ and contentment in God's eternal presence. Um, we'll be in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 20 this morning. So let us uh, get started here. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 1 to 7. Somebody go ahead and read that for us. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Sintachi, however, <laughs> <laughs> to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes. And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all and all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, thank you. Um, verse 5, what word did you have there? NIV? No, what oh. word in verse 5? Verse 5. Yeah, let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all. That's interesting. Who's got a, a King James? Anybody? Ken, you didn't bring your King James. You've always been. <laughs> no? Huh? What verse? Verse 5. Let your moderation. Moderation. All right, who's got the ESV? I have, I have the New American Standard. Uh huh. And the word there is your forbearing spirit. Forbearing spirit? What do you got, Ken? Or, um, Reasonableness. Reasonableness, yeah. Interesting. That's a lot of different words. From a, I mean, it's a huge range of meaning. Um, the word, the, the Greek word, and I won't even attempt to try and say it because my Greek is horrible. The, the idea trying to be conveyed by Paul is what is right or fitting, what is serviceable, equitable, moderate, reasonable, gentle. 
This word is important because we see it in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. And it's the word that's used for God's kindness. In the Old Testament where it talks about God's kindness, it's this word. Now, hesed is, um, is uh, love. It's the idea of un, um, uh, agape, love. The, the Greek would be that. Um, this word is only used for God um, and earthly rulers when they are pronouncing sentence. Uh, Josephus and Philo use it talking about prophets in kings making a pronouncement on them. That they are reasonable, that they are moderate um, in there, that they are uh, offering the right judgment. As we saw in the news this week, the jury handed down uh, the ruling for Kyle Rittenhouse. From all the evidence, it was the right judgment. And there was fear that it would be other than because of the threat of riots and all that. But the idea is this word. Um, Plato and Plutarch also use this word later in Greek um, to talk about clemency. That one, it's a, it was a, le a legal word um, for leniency that's offered by the king or the, the, the court. So the, the idea here is um, oh, it's up here. You, uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone that this is you know this idea of um, being what's right the goodness uh, towards people I have the tree of life Bible which is the latest Jewish Bible uh -huh. and the word they use there is gentleness yeah but it's it's more than that it's not just the way you act it's what's it's what's appropriate it should what should be um, which is why it's used with government uh, legal stuff or God in this case. So let's uh, look at this in its context. Acquiring peace. It is something we strive for. We all want peace. We want to live at peace. In order to do that, Paul tells us, believers need to put aside differences. You want peace? Quit quarreling with each other. Apparently these two women, we don't know who they were or what they did or what their, even their argument was about, but they were causing issues for the church in Philippi. They were making it unpeaceful. You ever been in a church that there's an internal fight going on between members? It isn't nice. It isn't pretty. Actually, that probably causes more problems for the church than whatever the argument is about. <laughs> you want peace? You need to put aside your differences. How do we do that? What does Paul tell us to do? Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Okay. Be reasonable. We be, are reasonable by remembering what it is we're supposed to be doing, which is rejoicing in the Lord. If he becomes our focus, which is what Paul's been talking about through the book of Philippians, how can we be arguing with each other? Now, apparently it must not have been anything of great importance. We don't know. Um, so I doubt they were arguing over the Christology 
the doctrine of Christology or something important like that, or Paul would have corrected somebody. Paul doesn't take a side. He doesn't correct somebody. He says, knock it off. <laughs> Remember to rejoice in the Lord. That's what you need to be doing. Because that's what's reasonable. That's what we are supposed to be doing. That's our right thing to do. Be reasonable. Then he moves along and he talks about um, anxiousness. And we're not supposed to be anxious. Why should we, of all people, not be anxious? Because God is in control. Right. God's in control. Do we believe it? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the circumstances override what we know. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they cause us problems. We, we are some of the, in this generation, we are some of the most anxious people because I think we are um, in living in the information age. And we know what's going on everywhere all the time as it's happening. And I think that has created uh, an anxiousness that the ancients didn't ever have. Yeah. I mean, it would be years before they knew about a war somewhere. Uh, if you, you assassinated an emperor, it could be months before it got to you that you would know what was going on. With the instantaneous information age, we know of a massacre happening in China as it's happening because somebody's showing video of it while it's happening. And I think it's not just one place, it's the whole world. So we get to see an, a, a tsunami happening in India and um, gang rapes in LA and it's just boom, it's 24 seven, it just comes up. I think the advent of uh, cable network news um, created an anxiousness that I don't think any other generation is ever had to deal with. So even more so, we need to look at that and we need to rejoice. We need to be able to look at all that information and do exactly that, God's in control. We need to be praising him. We've got sects of Christians who have bunkers and food for 20 years and ammo and all that and, you know being prepared is a good thing being but some of this stuff has gone to ridiculousness and that that's not our job uh, we're supposed to be salt and light hunkering down in your bunker all by your onesie that's not being reasonable it's being anxious um Life is not assured, and if we truly believe God's in control, then, you know, if it's your time, you'll die in your bunker, and it'll probably be a useless death. But if it's not your time, you can walk through a battlefield with the bullets flying, and then none of them will touch you. And we can go out and be the salt and light. So how do we not be anxious? I mean, let's just face it. We're human. It's hard not to be anxious when you see what's going on or what's potentially going to happen as crowds mass and, and all that. How do you look at that and go, oh, I'm okay. It's all right. It's going to be fine. Well, he tells us that we need to pray, we need to ask, and we need to thank God. 
Easy to say, not always easy to do. Yes, this is also true. It is not. But when we do it in terms of rejoicing in the Lord, Amen. which is what we got to remember, that's what we got to keep coming back to. That we're rejoicing in the Lord. So I'm going to pray and ask him about this situation. Because I'm rejoicing in what he's doing. Um, we gain the peace of God when we do this. The peace of God comes to us from him through praising and recognizing his place and position in the world and just that how much the world is not in control, he is. I don't care who's sitting in what seat, whether it's the head of the House, the head of the Senate, the, the leadership in the White House, whoever's the supreme whatever at the Pentagon, they're not in control. And we only remember that in the manner that gives us peace is when we're praising God, when we recognize his supreme authority in the world. The world was totally upside down in Paul's day. Not in the manner that, that it is today, but it, this, it's the same situation. And I guess they were having issues at Philippi. And this is what he tells them. Rejoice in the Lord. Pray to God. You know, the situations are there. Um, he doesn't say gather together and figure out how to fix it, which is what our temptation is, isn't it? <laughs> Especially nowadays, we get into our, our little chat group here or our little uh, email list there, and we, oh, we should do this, and we need to, we need for that. Eh, we're, we're supposed to go and talk to him about it. That's the idea. Not that he's going to change it. Not that he's going to fix it. We talk to him about the issue and converse with him and rejoice in the fact that he is God. I tried to sum it up. This is uh, my statement, so I'm not quoting anybody. Um, I, I've tried to put it together. Uh, it's a little wordy, but that's just, you know, the way it is. The peace of God reflects his divine character. He lives in serenity. This peace is not a human dream. The world wants us to believe that, but it isn't. It is only offered in the New Testament. As I studied this, you can only find the offer of God's peace in your life in the New Testament because it can only come from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It comes from a wholeness of mind and spirit that is regenerated through salvation. Without his influence, our minds race on and on. But with the hope in Christ, we can know the future and school our thought to allow peace so that we can have joy. So there's a summation of everything Paul's been teaching through the book of Philippians. Um, we cannot, you will not find this teaching in the Old Testament. And it's because without salvation that brings the Holy Spirit into our lives, I don't think we can have that ability to not be anxious and to have that joy. This is what allows Paul to sit in a prison under threat and sing hymns at midnight. 
That's insane by the world's standards. Even by our standards, that's like, wow. And it's like, we know it happened and all that. But I can't imagine that. But at that moment, praying to God, rejoicing in him, the Holy Spirit moved in Paul and he felt peace. Not that there wasn't turmoil all around him. He was still in prison. But that's what, that's what we are offered as believers through the regeneration of our mind and spirit becoming whole. Let's face it. Before we are saved, our spirit is at odds with God. It's at war with God. And therefore, our mind is not controllable because we're not at peace with God. And that's what salvation brings. It brings that wholeness. Can you imagine if that had been not broken all the way back in the Garden of Eden? If we had always had peace with God, the peace the world would have known throughout history. Comment. Question. Yeah, I just know like in last year in March when all this Black Lives Matters and riots and everything like that were going on, I was just getting really anxious because um, just, you know, just fearful of everything, watching the news and um, I think that's, but coming here and just learning, you know, better doctrine, I stopped watching television <laughs> and just uh, started listening more to the Bible and what's in the Bible and I got in such like a piece, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still like nervous, but it's different. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so grateful for the learning. Yeah. I, it's amazing how that changes when we put our focus on him instead of either ourselves or what's going on. The, the greatest example, anybody know what the greatest example from scripture is? Of that very thing. Nobody's going to guess. Peter! Walking on the water, storm thrashing all around him, and he's walking on the water. As long as he's looking at Christ and his focus is on him, he can walk on it. No matter, I mean, it's not that it's still, it's not that uh, you can actually walk on water, uh, but through Christ that strengthens him. See, that's, we take that verse out of context a lot. We, we just take that verse and quote it. And so it's a focus on him. In order to gain this peace. <laughs> Andrew, it's like my girl Bob that keeps freaking out on me. <laughs> That's crazy. Because when he takes his eyes off Christ, what happens? He sinks. He sinks. We lose peace. When we take our focus off of him and we get caught up in the world, 
and all that. That's why these these doom prepared Christians who are like the end's coming. We got to be prepared. And they've taken their focus off of Christ and put it on all their prep and all that. Like that's going to save you. Not that we don't plan ahead, but that's not our focus, right? Our focus is going to be Christ. Right, but he still got out on the boat. He still got out on the boat. <laughs> and he still managed to walk part way there. Nobody else got out of the boat either. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Somebody read that. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. All right. Well, but that's because fellowship, having fellowship, we, we've taken fellowship to just mean we get together, but it was that we share the burden. Yeah, um, yeah which is, yeah, it's way more than what we've done. It's amazing how much we've thinned a lot of that out, um, either for ease and all that, but that that's a church history lesson there. Really. <laughs> another day. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that'll be another day. Um, being content. He starts off, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He always starts with that, right? I rejoice in the Lord. Where's his focus? Christ. The Lord, yeah. He talks about all things. And um, the, the linguistically, this word, the Greek word for this, changes meaning depending on whether or not it has the article or not. You know, the is the definitive article. Um, and in this case, it doesn't have the article in the Greek, which means that it's the idea of full and total, each, or it could be whoever, whatever, any. So it's not all like we think all. Our English word all is all-inclusive. It's encompassing of every thing. But in this case, it's, it, it's not actually. All is probably not a great word. I don't know that what we would really use um, with it. But I can do full or total things um, with it. It's not that I can do any anything. So it, it, the idea is, is that it's in the context, which the context is what? Rejoicing in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ. Christ will help us through it. And Christ will help us through it. So we are able to have contentment and joy in Christ in any situation. It's not that I can do anything, um, which, like I said, this verse often gets taken out of its context. The context is contentment and joy in Christ. He strengthens us to do that. That's what he's strengthening. Being content 
is being independent of what's going on about you. Your contentment is independent of the circumstance you're in because he strengthens us to be content. If we're focusing on him, if our eyes are on him, we're content. He is our sufficiency, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. Um, so we need to be independent of our situation in our relationship to Christ. I need to be independent of all this. My relationship to Christ is not dependent, which is where the health and wealth prosperity gospel people are with this. Oh, God will do anything for you. You just got to have enough faith in him and all that. They've got it backwards. Your circumstances are connected to your faith in him, and that controls your contentment. Um, our relationship to Christ has nothing to do with the circumstances. They are what they are because he's doing what he wants to do, but our relationship to him needs to be good, and we will find contentment in him. It is totally dependent on Christ. So our contentment is dependent on him, not the circumstances, not where we're at, not what we're doing. And as we focus on him, we become content, as Tish was just saying. She became more content. And we all know it. Because we've been through, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And the more you begin to focus on him, usually we find it either because somebody says something to us. Or we just reach that point that we don't know what else to do. So we go grab our Bibles and we start reading and we start going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the time we put it down, we're like, wow, how did I forget that? <coughs> because that's what it is. We need to depend on him. The strength promised in these verses is not to be able to do supernatural, amazing things in the world. It is amazing strength to be content in the world's ridiculousness that's going on around us. That is serious strength. To be able to sit and watch all the news and all that's unfolding in the world, whether it's war, disaster, or whatever, and go... God, help these poor people. And still be content. The world isn't. Look at the way the world runs around like chickens with their head cut off. Oh, we got to help here. Oh, we got to do this. Oh, we need to be there. Just look at how crazy they are over the whole environmental. The world is getting too hot and the polar ice caps are melting and all that. They're, they're nuts over it. They're, they're running and doing all this stuff. It's like, we know that the world is not going to flood. Genesis, God told us he's never flooding the world again. The polar ice caps can melt. The world's not being underwater. I don't know if you remember that movie came out, I guess, in the late 80s or something, Waterworld, yeah. where the whole world was flat. I forget, Kevin Costner. Yeah. It ain't happening again. Noah's already done. Uh, it isn't, it, it, but people were fearful of this. You listen to the rhetoric and the news and all that, and it's like, that's the one thing I know that's not happening. That I can put a guarantee on it. The world ain't flooding. God said it ain't. I don't care what we do. I don't care how many cars we run. We can smoke up the atmosphere. It ain't flooding. Actually, I do know how it's going to end. It's going to burn. So 50 years 
go, it was going to freeze. Well, yeah, that's true, too. But, you know, we know the end. Revelation tells us it's all going to burn, and then it will rise again, and he will rebuild it. Those are guarantees. I can have contentment. I can have peace. And reality, I am joyful about this because I don't think this is a great world anyway. It needs to be remade. Strength in that contentment allows us to not be like the rest of the world running around because we know God has told us. They just think we're a bunch of whack jobs, but I think we enjoy life a whole <laughs> lot more because of it. They can think I'm crazy all I want. I'm going to sit. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I am joyful for God because he's in control. Finding contentment. Everybody in life wants to find contentment. It's talked about, but nobody's willing to go to the guy who can give it to them. They don't want to bow the knee. They want contentment in themselves. And let's face it, I'm the most messed up person I know, right? <laughs> we... We, we'll never find contentment in our own minds. Without Christ, I mean, that's one of the things that was broken in the Garden of Eden. We broke ourselves, and so our relationship with ourself is broken. Just think about the arguments you have with yourself in your own mind. <laughs> Whatever it is. When you're a teenager, it's, I'm ugly, I'm not popular, I'm not... You're broken inside. You don't have peace with yourself. And a lot of us carry that on into adulthood, but with Christ, we gain that ability to be at peace with ourselves. No matter what we've done, it may trouble us, but we can still be at peace with ourselves. Which, that's a really strange thing to say, but most people, they, they don't. I, I've sat at bar stool with guys who are too drunk, and they start talking, and it's usually about how they're not at peace with themselves. Their life's messed up because of something they did 25 years ago and they haven't forgiven themselves for whatever it was that happened. It's amazing. We are provided um, contentment from God when we focus on Him and we gain that peace which allows us to experience joy, which is what He wants for us. He only wants us to experience joy, but joy isn't, we, we define joy as having stuff. <laughs> stuff isn't joyful. Having stuff and having no worries no. about anything ever. Right. So we all want to be rich. Yeah. We all want to be rich because we think that's what's going to do it. Well, I am rich. I'm rich in Christ. Stuffing nonsense. Huh? Stuffing nonsense. Stuffing nonsense. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's humanism. Labor Day uh, weekend. I got a call on Labor Day about uh, 6 o'clock, had a nice uh, relaxing weekend. A uh, guy on the phone uh, lived out in Bedford County where we have a getaway place. Steve, uh, a big oak tree fell on your camper and your cabin. Oh yeah. So <laughs> the next morning I drove out there and, and I, I have this verse memorized, Philippians 4.4, 4. I you always use it. It was far from that. I was Every mile went by, I was projecting every negative thought I could think of. <laughs> I get out there to say, well, what's happening? And I said, well, we can save the cabin, but we're not going to save the camper. And I uh, asked a local logging company when I went out there on Wednesday, could you help me get this big oak tree off? We'll be out uh, tomorrow morning. 
And we were like, well, I actually, I don't think I said at that time, thank you, Lord. I was just like, all right, good, you know, to go to the next thing. But when they showed up with a crew with a big piece of machinery, they grabbed that thing and lifted it up like a toothpick. <laughs> and, and I'm there like, it was almost like, uh, and then I asked them at the end, well, how much I owe you? And they said, well, we have to take care of our neighbors. Yeah, you don't owe us anything. And when he said that, it was almost like the Jesus talking to me. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, you know. And it was almost that turned my whole attitude around, and 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 it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even dealing with the insurance company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is good. <laughs> It isn't always the way we experience it. Uh, yeah. You know, we think, well, just rain money from heaven, right? Yeah. Well, sometimes he just sends a nice neighbor with uh, the right equipment. Yeah. And that's yeah. even uh, that's even better than the yeah. money. Yeah. Because now you got a friend, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know somebody. We, we know each other, and it just thank yeah. the Lord. Wow. And you have no idea where that relationship will go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it it is. It is amazing, and the world downplays that. Yeah, you know, they, they that they downplay how that affects people, mm -hmm. but it does. it does. That one act of kindness. I, I deliver Grubhub, and I can tell you <laughs> that I go into a restaurant, and most people are fussing at them. People are waiting for tables. Food isn't coming out fast enough. Other drivers are giving hassling the gals at the counter or the the hostesses. Because, you know, they got, we got to go, just being nice, have a great evening. And it will change everything about them. Mm -hmm. And it's, we, we just don't understand the effect of our contentment in life. Us being content influences other people because, you know what? Okay, so I've got to wait an hour for my meal because of that. I'm still getting the, I'm still getting the, the $18, $20 tip. Where am I doing $18 or $20 an hour? You know, just delivering food. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit here on a bench and wait for them to bring the food, and they're going to pay me eighteen dollars for this hour. I ain't getting a job where anybody's paying me eighteen dollars an hour to sit there and, and twiddle on my phone or whatever. No, but that's it. But we don't see it that way, but we need to. All right, let's move on because I'm going to run out of time. Oh, Philippians chapter four, fifteen through eighteen. Somebody read that one. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me um, in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek, seek the gift, but seek the fruit and the increase to your credit. I have full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite's the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply... Oh, oh is that it? That's it, right there. Uh, this is a hard one for me. <coughs> because I've spent most of my adult life uh, not working for an employer, but working in ministry, in which case it's repaid by the gifts of other people. When we went to the mission field initially, we had one church that was supporting us, um, which made it even that much more difficult. 
Uh, we had approached several other churches and they weren't interested in all that. I understand where Paul's coming from. It's difficult. Uh, but you learn contentment and you continue on in the ministry and God provides. We never went without a meal. We never went without housing. We lived 14 years in the same apartment in Korea and our landlord never raised the rent once. Wow. 14 years we paid the same low rent we started with. That is a blessing from God. That's him making it that we could afford it and all that. Because housing is ridiculous in Korea. And we weren't paying that much. We had gotten a great rate and she never changed the rent in 14 years. That's like unheard of, right? But that's God providing. Because churches didn't, you know, they weren't... They hadn't done that, so God provided. We never went without food. We had food show up on our doorsteps occasionally. We would open the door, and there would be bags of food that somebody just dropped off. Don't know who. Still don't know who. Um, one of the things that we need for contentment is provision. Providing. God provides, but it isn't just as Steve just said. God didn't provide the money to, to get the trees out of the way. He sent a guy at his company, and they were nice and happy to help a neighbor get rid of a tree that fell down, no fault of his, onto his cabin. I mean, that's, that's the provision that God provides. Again, he doesn't always send money, but he sends uh, help in other manners. Giving. Giving is a pleasing Offering to God. Paul says it's fragrant. This whole language that we see in these verses is the language that comes from the law. I know, Leviticus is boring. Actually, I, I like Leviticus, but that's me. I'm weird. I like the Old Testament. But where when Moses is writing out all those commands of offer this goat for that or pigeons for this, and the language is always talking about how it's a pleasing aroma to God. This is what pleases God. This is a fragrance to God. Paul is saying it here about the gift that the Philippians sent to him. And as a minister, a full-time minister, that, when you give, it's pleasing to God because you're supporting me and Steve and Chris and the missionaries that we support and all that. That is, it's, it's, you know, it's a pleasing aroma. In reality, it's part of worship. It's not just your tithe. It's not just your offering. That was how Cain viewed it. Oh, I got to pay God. And Cain wasn't real pleased about making the, the sacrifice and all that. And it wasn't acceptable to God. That's not what it is. This is part of our worship. In the Old Testament, you brought your sheep, your goat, and or doves, or whatever it was, and you would bring it to the priest. Part of those offerings went to the priest. That's how their families ate. That's how they were able to have food, or if it, you know, the animal was left, they could sell it for money in order to continue building the temple and all those things. That was part of it. It was part of worship, and today it's still part of worship. It allows us to minister for Christ and do things and all that. Um, this is the interesting part, and I don't know that we think of it. Um, we, you know, let, let's face it. We, we've seen a host of charlatan ministers 
in the United States that have you know the multiple jets and Rolls Royces and and all that. Uh, we've become very jaded about all that and giving. And it's not just giving money. The stuff you guys donate to uh, the yard sale, I mean, those are still your belongings. And you've donated them to the yard sale for the teens to sell in order to have money to do the missions projects and things that they do. That's, that's part of this. Some of you donate time uh, to different things because you don't have a whole lot of anything else, but you've got time to come and sit and listen to verses at Awana. That's a pleasing aroma. Yeah, because your time can be spent doing other things. We receive credit for that ministry. That's what Paul's telling them here. You helped me out, and yes, that was helpful to me, but even more so, you gain credit for whatever ministry I do. You've now been involved. There's a connection. That's why when we talk about missionaries, they are an extension of us. And so the Heathcotes down in Africa... All the teaching and training and churches that he's worked with, we support him doing that financially. We gain credit for the teachings and stuff that he's doing. All that ministry that's going on there, it's our ministry. It's part of our ministry. And the same is true with David Nelson and um, I'm forgetting the other one. Greg Donnelly. Yeah, Greg Donnelly. Thank you. I just totally drew a blank. Um, those we're we're part of their ministries. I think oftentimes because missionaries are so gone, and we forget about that, and we forget about those ministries. I know that the churches that we worked with, and stuff after you know fourteen years in Korea, it'd be like, oh yeah, we forgot about you over there, you know, because they don't call, they don't write, they don't talk. You know, there's no, there's not a lot of communication. <laughs> it would drove us nuts. We'd send out our monthly newsletter, we'd never hear back. Did you like what we said? Are you interested in what's going on? It, it, it's, but we're, we're part and parcel together. We couldn't do it without them. And you gain the credit and all that that's going with it. Case in point, when I was in Korea, um, we often didn't know what was, when somebody would knock at the door, we wouldn't know who was on the other side because the doors were, were solid. We were, our offices were on the second floor of a public stairwell because there were apartments above us. One day, it was in the summer, um, there was somebody knocking on the door and I, I go to the door and I open it and there's a young um, Air Force airman standing there. And he apologized for bothering me and that he was in a rush because he had to catch a bus to get on a plane to go back to the United States that day. And that he had no knowledge of the church the whole time he was there. And that he had wished that he had known the church was there while he was in Korea because he would have attended and he would have came and all that. He had heard from somebody else the work that we were doing there and he was impressed. And so he showed up and he shoves into my hand a bag full of money. And I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, he's like, it's my offering. I've been saving it for a year because there wasn't, any, there wasn't a church for me to give it to. And I heard about what you were doing, and I wanted to leave it with you before I left the country. And he turned around and walked away to catch his, to get in a taxi, to get to the bus station, to get on a bus, to go to Seoul, to get on a plane, to fly back to the United States. I don't know who the man was. He never gave me his name. Just his story in a bag full of money. 
That's insane. But it was at the time that we needed that money at the church. We had no idea. It's crazy. Who randomly just shows up and hands you a bag full of money? I mean, it was cash. Because everything in Korea was cash. It's like, thank you. Bye. Have a good trip. Yeah. It was those... It was the most bizarre thing that ever happened to me. Like that. So I took, brought the money in, and then we sat, we counted it, and took it to the bank and deposited it. I mean, that's God providing. And that offering, the guy never attended. He got nothing out of the church from us. But he knew that we were a Christian ministry that was doing the good work from the reputation we had in the community, and he wanted to be part of it. And the best he could do was give his money. And you know what? He gets credit for that. Amen. Because he helped the ministry. He, God's going to say you did a good thing. Paul says that it was a pleasing aroma. And God provides. Which allowed us to remain focused on him instead of being anxious about trying to pay uh, the bills. Which allowed us to have more joy. See how all this works together? That's amazing, isn't it? Comment, question. In a small way, I, I used to do this when somebody, uh, Cindy's mom was greatest for this. We wanted to take her out to dinner. Oh, I'm paying. No, it's a gift. No, I'm paying. So get the money out and make a big deal out of it. Even for her birthday, to take her out for her birthday. I'm going to cover this. So finally I said, well, I need to give you a, a basic biblical principle. And it's sermon number 35 in my book. I said, hey, how do you receive a gift? You receive it and say, thank you. Done. Move on. Because it's really offensive to, you're trying to give a gift to somebody, and it's, it's a blessing for the person giving. And uh, I used to do that. Oh, you don't have to do that. Receive the gift and say, thank you. Yeah. I, I prefer giving. Yeah. I, I know I work yeah. in ministry and I have to re I receive all the time. It is hard it to is receive. Hard. Yeah. I much prefer to be the guy giving. Yeah. Um, I, I love to give good gifts. Uh, it's probably one of my um, yeah, it's probably one of my love languages. I, I hate I hate gift cards. Yeah. They're so impersonal. <laughs> yeah. I love going to the store and going, that's the right thing. And yeah. pick it out for that person. And it just jumps out at me. Cards. I love to go and pick out cards. Me and my sister have a war with cards. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 to try and find the right card for each other that's just that right thing. But we enjoy doing it. Um, yeah, it's hard to receive. It, it, it's not. and uh, Because of, you know why it's hard to receive? It's humbling. Mm -hmm. yeah. Who likes to be humbled? Yeah. We don't like to be humble. Go ahead, Carrie. With my difficulties, um, people will say, can I help you? And I'm, like, really independent. And I said, oh, I'm okay. And my friend who has MS, she said, Karen, she said, there's no, you should allow people. You're stealing their joy. Let them help you, you know. And when you put it that way, you know, I've accepted people's help. And when you're stealing their joy. Yeah. Well, we live in a world, especially now, I think more so than any age before, where there are a lot of free loafers. 
And we think that if I yeah. take this, people will think I'm a freeloafer because we all see, we, we, we hear about the welfare state and all yeah. that, and we don't want to be seen as one of those. But you know what? That's, that's pride. That's pride. And sometimes we need to, we, we need to be humbled and accept yeah. that help. And that's, uh, that's how it is. And like she said, it provides <laughs> joy. That's part of the credit, right? See the, see the whole thing? We gain peace. We get contentment. And we're joy. Which allows us to worship God even more than we were worshiping before. It becomes exponential. And it's contagious, too. You ever be happy and joyful and you're just like, wow, God's so amazing today. And you're like whistling through the hall at work. What's wrong with you? And you, right. you, you tell them what God's done for you. And even if they're not a believer, they're like, wow, okay. That, that's, that's pretty cool. And that, their attitude changes. Oh, maybe it hasn't gone to where you're at. But you've now brought joy, even minuscule amount, into their life. Because you're having joy. And you're sharing it with everybody. All right, moving on. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the right spot. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's what Paul wraps up. And this is a simple two-verse statement. But it's profound. His glory. Again, it comes back to our purpose, the point of our life. Everything that we're doing, it's for his glory. He supplies our needs. Why? You're a great guy, right? You deserve it, right? Oh, wait, 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 wait. You earned it. No. God supplies not our every want, our every whim, but he supplies our needs for his glory. I, again, these are another set of verses that get taken out of context. God provides every all, you know, everything for his riches in glory because I am, you know, and they and then they start adding all the things because you are faithful enough or you're good looking enough or you're in our church and so God supplies no he supplies needs for his glory which means that when we get them whether it's through the job you have and you get your weekly paycheck that's provided by God he has provided for your needs you don't need to have that job he can take that job away can't he I mean, think of Job. We just we did Job back in the spring. God gave him everything. God took everything away, and he still glorified God. That was the whole test with Satan. You got a job. You got money coming in. It's not you. It's him. He's provided it for his glory. Glorify him for that position, whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing. Whether it's you know you're mopping floors or you're sitting behind the big CEO desk doing, you know, multi-billion dollar international deals and signing all that paper. <laughs> yeah. uh, Andrew, I know you're running away, but I, I need to share this. 
Go ahead. When I first started as an Iwana missionary umpteen years ago, I went to a, an Iwana club, this was in Ohio, and I had a Weisenheimer fifth grade boy come up to me and he said, well, I was doing, teaching the lesson, and he says, so uh, how much do you make as a missionary? I said, well, that's personal, but you can become one and uh, find out. <laughs> and, and, but I said, I will share this with you, that when I did my taxes last year, I made half of what I made the year before. But I said, all of my needs were met and some of my desires. And it shut him up and he got to thinking. And then all the leaders said, well, how did you quiet this boy? Because he was notoriously a turkey. You've <laughs> <laughs> never seen anyone like that. Yeah, yeah you know, might have seen a few. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes with what, what you just were talking about because we never were in want. Mm-hmm. And I know you know that too. Uh, it's just an incredible feeling to see what God did for us while we were there for the 15 years, 13 years. Sorry. Yeah. So thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> thank you. All that to say that it's the glory of God that we're focusing on. We're sitting in here to glorify God. I'm standing here teaching this for His glory. It certainly isn't mine. And we need to view all of life that way. All too often we think of churches here and what, and then we go out there. Out there is even more glorifying to God when we do the right thing. When we don't cheat on our taxes. When we don't steal the stapler from work. When we, those, because that's what the world does. It's glorifying to God. I saw him. Go ahead. It reminds me of, <clears throat> I don't know whether it's there's the verse that you quoted or not about, anyway, in, um, I'm not sure whether it's Ezra or Nehemiah where he's saying they read the law to the people and they were so upset by how they weren't following it. And he said, go eat the sweet, drink you know, the wine, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm-hmm. And the other thing <clears throat> is that what we're talking about here is the, um, there's a, a movie I just watched, The Beam of Judgment Seat of Christ, and that talks about the rewards that you will get. And that's what the glorifying God gets you rewards in heaven. And there was a song <clears throat> my daughter reminded me of, and it's called, Is That All the Lumber You Sent When the Person Gets to Heaven? You know, that's what we do here counts in heaven. It does. We're told to put our riches in heaven. Christ Himself said that store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Um, and that, that comes from, like she just said, the doing of those things, the, the worship and the offerings that we give through ministry to each other and to him. Let me uh, sum some of this up a little bit. John Vernon Burn McGee said, The Christian life is not only difficult, it is impossible unless we acquire the power to live it through Christ. To be sure, this truth does not come naturally to us, but must be learned. Are you living to live the impossible Christian life? Are you finding the power to do that? Interesting quote. Let me leave you with a couple things for the week. First of all, we need to be at peace with each other so that we can help each other. The two ladies that Paul 
starts this off with, we're, we're, we're causing issue. They were having a fight between them. I don't know what it was, but when we are at odds with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we don't have peace. And if we're not at peace, we don't have contentment. Because, well, you know what she did to me? Did you hear what she did now? Churches that are at odds with each other, there's no peace, there's no contentment, and therefore there is no joy. People stop coming to church because it's just not, I'm not going. It's just too much. I can't take it anymore. There's no joy there. When we get along with each other and we set aside whatever those differences are, we find joy with each other's company. Second, contentment in all circumstances, it only comes from Christ. Humanly speaking, we can't have contentment on our own. This is why the world is in such a shambles. They've rejected Christ and they can't find contentment. And so they gobble each other up thinking that will bring it. If I can just have a little more. It isn't that because they're poor. That's what humanism says. They're poor. That's what the problem is. We need to fix that. So we need to take the money from the rich and give it to the poor. It will not give them contentment. They will not find peace. And they will not have joy because it only comes through Christ. Third, Christ provides for our needs through others. It's not that we need more money or we want more money. It's we're able to provide for others in a manner that God says we should do. And it provides for them, which gives them contentment and joy because they don't have the... Um, the, the angst of trying to figure out how I'm going to make it. Lastly, all of it, all of it, let me say it again, all of it is to glorify God. That's why we do it. We give not because we want to. We give to glorify God. We help. We receive. We're at peace. We set aside those differences not because we want to but because we want to glorify God and we need to do that together and the unity in the body is what allows us to have peace and contentment, which leads to our joy. That's what we get out of it. God gives us joy. He wants us to have a joyful life, which is fulfilled and full of peace and contentment. And that comes through submitting to him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words that remind us in this tumultuous period of history as we look at the world where a single trial in a city that's not even in this state creates such angst among people that we can have peace because we know you're in charge. We can have peace because we're unified together. We can have joy in each other's company, joy in our lives, knowing that you're taking care of it however it falls. Lord, allow us to rest in that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.